What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey, today, but I am super pleased to be joined by Bourbon Street Shots' Mason Ginsberg. He's a writer um, for Bourbon Street Shots, and he's also a co-host of In the Know Podcast over there, so definitely go check that out. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Mason Ginsberg, G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G. He's a great follow, particularly if you're looking to talk about the Pelicans, but he has great NBA insight and also um, worldviews, but that would be for a different podcast. Um, how are you doing today, Mason? Uh, pretty good. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Uh, looking, looking forward to, to, to chatting a lot of... Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. It's been a very, uh, very up and down season already. Somehow, even though we've only played eight games, but uh, but there's a, a lot to talk about with this team. Yeah. So as we're recording right now, Pelicans are four and four. They're going to play the Spurs, but it feels like they've played more than eight games to me. And I don't know if you feel the same way because I'm, you've watched them way more than I have, um, obviously. But just with all the injuries and uh, like just to the scale of the injuries, and then Anthony Davis kind of playing against the Warriors where to me he didn't look right but the Pelicans were still I think they were close to a, a net even with him on the floor like a minus two or something and you're dealing with injuries to Alfred Payton and Julius Randle's banged up this team has been with kind of the news and, and starting 4-0 um, or being at 4-4 now they've been a little exhausting <laughs> that's a that's a good way to put it I mean the, the team came out of the gate just crazy impressive uh with the first two wins of the season uh the Rockets game obviously it doesn't look as impressive now but the Rockets were full strength when the Pelicans played them they've had a lot of issues with James Harden <laughs> James Harden missed a couple games with injury Chris Paul missed a couple games with the suspension but they were full strength when the Pelicans blasted them in Houston on opening night so it's still I still, well, still think that's a very quality win um and then they went on to beat Sacramento which at home which that is impressive uh, apparently <laughs> Which apparently, yeah, apparently it is kind of impressive. And the fact that I think Sacramento is six and three right now, and they just, they, they blasted them too, scored 149 points in regulation. So, uh, it was a, it's a great start. And then the next two games, they won, not in convincing fashion, but they beat a good Clippers team. They beat a, I think, fringe playoff team in the Brooklyn Nets. Yes. Uh, round of applause so, for that. <laughs> uh, so two teams at home that they should be. They didn't play their best basketball, but they found a way to win. And that's what you want to see 
from, from teams like, uh, you know, teams like the Pelicans. They gotta, they've gotta be able to find ways to beat the teams you're supposed to beat and then do what you can against the, the really great teams. And so, 4-0, feeling good. Um, AD, then they had one more home game against the Utah Jazz. AD sat out because of his elbow injury that kind of flared up overnight from the night, from the game before. Uh, apparently he, when he dunked on Jared Allen, <laughs> something, something happened to it or he fell. I'm not sure. And I, I didn't like, re, I didn't rewatch the play, but, uh, you know, had a tough, lo- tough loss. They kind of got demolished by the Jazz, um, without AD on the second end of a back to back. And then they've gone on this road trip and gone 0 3, playing, I mean, playing three good teams. They kept it close till the end with Denver. They kept it close for a while with Golden State. And as you mentioned, AD played that game, but he didn't really, I agree completely. He didn't seem like himself. He was very, he deferred a lot. I mean, you see the assist numbers. Uh, he had eight or nine assists that game. I don't think that was the, I don't think they wanted that. <laughs> I mean, he just kind of him passing out of the post a lot and, and guys, and you know, the, the Warriors were committing two guys to guarding him sometimes, even though he was clearly not a hundred percent and um, got some assists on that game, but it wasn't, it wasn't his, the, the design that the Pelicans kind of wanted for that game. Um, he was clearly was not himself. And so they lost that one. And then, uh, Portland game didn't, he, he set out the Portland game, which was also the second end of a back to back and, uh, Pelicans dropped it. So they've lost four straight. They're four and four. Eight, as we talk right now, AD's questionable for tonight against the Spurs. Darius Miller is questionable, who I think he's played one game this year and then he, he had a, a leg injury. And then, uh, Alfred Payton, who's been, we, I'm sure we can talk about him a little bit later. He's been very, a very positive surprise and he's, but he's had to miss a few games too. And so that's been, uh, given the Pelicans kind of lack of guard depth, that's been tough to deal with. So what we know about this team, as I sum up a very long diatribe of the <laughs> season so far is that when they're healthy, it's a small sample size, but they've been lethal. They've been very, very, very good. Um, without AD, predictably, they've been not so good. And I think Alfred Payton is being kind of undersold as how important the loss of him was. Maybe not as much because of how good he is, but even though he has played well, kind of more in relation to uh, how thin the Pelicans are kind of like at guard behind uh, Drew and each one and, and him. And I guess this, this dovetails with their hot start, and I'll start here. Their offense right now uh, is third in points scored per 100 possessions, which when you consider uh, that Anthony Davis has missed three games and like you were saying how much he was kind of deferring against the Warriors, to be here third in offensive efficiency eight games in is super impressive. And I'm wondering, and I'd asked you about this before we had kind of just hopped on, and I guess it's sort of a twofold question is, one, is it sustainable? And the only reason I might ask that is their three-point volume is just weird. I don't want to necessarily say it, it's too low, but is that a personnel thing where they're not shooting more threes? Is it just because they spend so much time in transition, getting to the rim, trying to get to the foul line that it's not a priority? And if they kind of keep playing with this shot distribution where they are relying on transition and getting to the rim and the line without necessarily uh, matching other teams' three-point volume, I believe they're hitting about three threes per game or three threes per 100 possessions uh, less than their opponents. Do you think that this offensive performance is is sustainable with that model? So you mentioned all the right things, I think. I think so. my bigger question about the Pelicans and their offensive uh, prowess so far has more to do with the pace than anything else. It's it's one of those things. If, if you're at full strength, I think they just want to run teams out of the gym. Uh, mm-hmm. They've they've they haven't played quite as fast without obviously predictably without AD and their their starting 
their, their regular starting lineup because they're just, they're thinner and it's just going to be hard to sustain that kind of pace and play with a, a long enough rotation to really have the stamina to do it. Um, but the, I think that the three point conversation has a little bit to do with personnel. The fact that Darius Miller is one of their, their, their key spot up shooters. I don't, D- Miller doesn't do much else that well besides shoot threes, but the, the team playing at this kind of pace can generate open looks from three. They just got to have the guys to hit them. Uh, Darius Miller is one of those guys. Each one more, obviously one of those guys. And he's, he's been shooting it pretty well. Um, Ian Clark, his minutes have been inconsistent, but he's a guy who can also, uh, knock down open looks. And he's been, he's been, I think he's going to be important for this team as a fourth guard. Um, because he played his second half of the season last year, once DeMarcus went down was, he got, he got better. And the, the team, I think the team's signing him for non-bird over the offseason was kind of an underrated signing. And I think he's, his, his depth is going to be important, particularly as you see right now with Alfred Payton out. And so, um, I, I think, I mean, they're going to continue to try to get points in transition, get to the rim. That's why they brought in, uh, a, a guy like Alfred Payton. That's, that's what one of the things he does really well. I mean, he's got his own shortcomings for sure, but, uh, he, he gets to the rim, uh, Almost, almost at will. He was ranked pretty highly in that, uh, last year over the past few years. And so, uh, you know, they're going to keep trying to play the way they're playing right now. I, I think the three point or the three point rate will come up once you have the players to do that. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I think what you saw the first few games of the season with the full, full, uh, healthy lineup is how they expect to continue to play. Do you see them? And I know they're in like a weird situation because you don't want to compromise cap flexibility for this summer and their books. I didn't even, this wasn't even a talking point that I listened to you, but their books are, I think people are kind of underrating how flexible they could be this summer, but could you see them trying to maybe target a, I'm not saying a big name via trade, but just like a wing that could help them with their spacing. Or do you think they're more likely to just maybe hope to, strike gold on the buyout market. And I know they're not necessarily a team that would necessarily would, would hope for that normally. And let's say, I know a lot of people believe Trevor Reese is going to get bought out of Phoenix. It'd be, that'd be funny to see him back in new Orleans, but he seems like someone who would join a contender. Whereas let's say maybe the nets buy out Damari Carroll. He seems like someone who might be uh, more likely to prioritize playing time. And then might consider a team like the Pelicans, which would in turn, give them an incentive to maybe wait and, and not skulk around the trade market for extra spacing or just extra wings in general? Yeah. Um, so it's a good question. I, I would be, first of all, I'd be shocked if the Nets buy out of Tamari Carroll. I think like, I, since it seems like you agree that they're a fringe playoff contender or for the, maybe the eighth seed. I mean, I, I think that team, is, I think, I think they're, if, if Lavera keeps playing the way he's playing, they're going to surprise some people. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think that there, if, if I had to pick one, I would, I would guess trade. Um, the, the thing that we've been talking about a lot with our Bourbon Street shots guys is what, what kind of trade you look for? Obviously the wing, a wing player is what they need. Like that, that's obvious. That's easy. The question now is what kind of contract are you looking for? Cause you could probably get a guy with two years left who a team's trying to create cap space for next summer. You could probably get a guy like that kind of cheap. And if you think about the players or that all the teams that are going to have cap space this offseason, it's a lot more than it was last offseason. So you're competing with a lot of other teams and not to say that New Orleans isn't a good destination with Anthony Davis, but you're introducing a lot of uncertainty, uh, given the fact that he, you know, he's got, I mean, everyone's talking about the fact that his contract's coming up kind of soon. Um, and I, 
it's and it's just it's a tricky situation for an incoming free agent that you really don't know if New Orleans is going to be in a position to get a top tier guy, and they just don't get top tier guys. I mean, that's this the history of this team, uh, and so. If maybe you just say screw the cap space and try to try to find a, a player on a contract, maybe fair uh, or maybe even slightly overpaid, and not have to you know, give up a lot for it. Use Solomon Hill as some outgoing salary who makes you know who's making way too much money, but still is, is can probably bring you in more salary. Um, and so the, I mean, the, I'm sure that this is the, these are all options the Pelicans are laying. Uh, I, I don't know which direction they're going to go, but I do. I would I would bet on some sort of trade happening for a wing player, um, but on or before the deadline. Do you think their defense could afford to, or and maybe you were just talking about how they just want to run people out of the gym and maybe they want to shoot them out of the gym. Would Kyle Korver then be something to look at where would you be willing to give up, you know, you give up Wes and let's say a second. Um, and then with Korver, I think is interesting because he's only, he's making 7.9 million next year, but I think he's guaranteed a little over 3.4 million. And uh, you can move that next year with the teams that have, if you really need your cap space, like you can trade Kyle Korver into someone's cap space next year. Yep. Um, or again, you could waive him and save, you know, uh, more than half his salary. Would that be a move that you would want the Pelicans or think that would actually help them? Or you just think that's too offense focused at this point? No, I think, I think Korver's the name we've talked about it and it would make a lot of sense. Uh, and if you're talking about, and, and the thing that I think would be interesting is that if you want to trade for Kyle Korver, I think you do it now because you, if you do it now, you can still aggregate that salary before the trade deadline. If you want to flip him again with somebody else. And so I think that the, the suggestion you, you the suggestion you just made with Wes Johnson, maybe Wes in a second, I think, I think the Pelicans, if, if that was a, a, a potential move on the table, I think they should jump all over it. I don't know if Cleveland's waiting and trying to figure out something better, maybe with J.R. Smith too. Um, but I, I think, I think it would make a lot of sense for the Pelicans to add a, a guy like that. Who, I mean, he's he's a he's a smart player. He's obviously up there in years, and he's not the the best athlete. And so when we talk about, de- uh, you know, he's not going to help them on defense. But I don't think he. I don't think Carver's going to kill your defense or anything like that. He and tries. So I think, yeah, yeah. Which which matters. I mean, especially when you're talking about a team that plays with pace like the Pelicans do. It, it matters. Like you don't want that. Was a problem with Cousins last year. Is that for all of his talents, and even on defense in the half court, he's he's typically a decent defender uh, unless you get him in the pick and roll. But he was just not running back on defense, uh, and we were giving up a ton of points in transition. And so that the whole the hustle aspect matters, even if you're not a great defender. So um, I think yeah, like, like I said, I think he fits. I think he'd fit pretty well, uh, and I'm not sure. I'm sure there'll be other teams bidding for his services. I don't think that, like you said, I don't think the cost will be that high. But the Pelicans do have a guy uh, in West Johnson, and I think I'm not. I, I can't remember for sure, but I'm. I feel like they wouldn't have been able to get him just straight up one for one with a Jensa salary. So again, credit to Demps if this is the move that they make, at least in the near future, for flipping a Jensa for West Johnson to get a higher salary number that can in turn be flipped for someone like Kyle Korver. Yeah, that's actually a really excellent point I didn't think of because Ajinsa wouldn't have worked straight up for for Korver with his salary, I don't think. Um, And they really don't have that. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Kyle Korver being able to play within their pace, but they also just really don't have that shooter, I guess, who can come off screens and, and drill threes like he can. I know he was doing a lot more standstill stuff in Cleveland and maybe he can't pinball around as much because of his age. But you could still see him doing that. Whereas right now, I don't even know who I would pick is the best option to do that in New Orleans. Is it Ian Clark? Is it Darius Miller when he's healthy? Do they just really not have that player? 
Um, yeah, it, it's, I, I, I don't know. Like it, it's tough. They've got a, their, their offense is designed for a lot of like good spot up, spot up shooters. Uh, and which again, when you're playing with pace and transition, you're, you're, that's the kind of looks you're trying to create. Um, but yeah, as far as half court, I mean, we've seen that. I think they've relied almost more on their bigs to create, create some of the action like that. Looking at, I mean, just the other game, uh, against Portland watching uh randall and uh, nico randall and drew do these you know uh this two-man action and it was a, uh, it was fun to watch but it's it's probably not going to generate and i think it's it's good offense but you can probably find a, a better better offense and so yeah I, I think i think trying to find players that can open up the offense and do different things is it should be a priority uh there and speaking of there, well, the one thing I was going to say about their pace is watching Anthony Davis. It still amazes me. It was uh, even against the game with the Warriors, the way he—I don't want to use the word nonchalant—but he's just so quick without you even really realizing it. Is that sometimes he'll fall out of camera after a play at the offensive end, but he's just—he's back on defense, or even if he's just behind the play. And to appreciate someone with—I don't think we appreciate his his stamina enough and the injury-prone thing has always been way overblown. Uh, the guy's played, he's cleared 75 appearances in each of the past two seasons. He does seem like he's accident prone, or like maybe he won't miss games, but I still, and this is probably irrational, but he's one of the players where I see him hit the floor, and I'm like, oh no, even though I don't consider him injury prone. And to have that is just such a luxury. And then the way they've been getting up and down the floor and Julius Randle on the court, uh, I didn't double check this today, but I think they were at more than 110 possessions per 48 minutes when he's, on the floor, which is just absolutely nutso. Uh, it's, it's, it's so that is, I'm a big fan of like three point shooting. Like I die on the hill all the time, but when you look at the Pelicans and with the speed they're able to play in the front court, even with Miritich, it's almost just, I don't want to say a, a non-issue because we spent some time talking about it, but it makes me think that this top three offense, even if some of the players cool off and, you know, each one more is shooting the lights out on pull-up jumpers, uh, that this standing for them would be sustainable. Yeah, it's it's funny because if you look at the where the Pelicans were successful last last season post uh, Nico trade and and Cousins going down, they were a tough defensive team. They played about league average offense, um, and they on defense they just I would not consider they smother people. They weren't at the Celtics Utah Jazz level, but they were they were a top I think a fringe top five defensive team, and so. Uh, that I think is where they expected to be, to be their calling. Not that they didn't think the offense was going to come, but, uh, but it's, it's interesting to see how, how this team has, has do- dominated offensively at, at full strength. Uh, and, and they were, they, I mean, before the injuries happened, they were looking pretty good on defense too. I mean, the, the, the obviously the scoring will kind of, it almost biases you looking at, oh, they have 130 points to the Kings, but I mean, the, <laughs> the Per possession basis, their defense was still pretty good, and so um, yeah, it's and again, I mean, the, the trick that I think number one obviously is health. Number two, just being able to have a rotation that can sustain that kind of pace for forty-eight minutes, especially as we get later into the season. And so, um, you know, regarding AD's, uh, you know, the his in, injury proneness or, or or what have you, I, I, Gentry said a couple games ago. I'm not, I can't remember. If it was the Portland game or if it was the uh, the Denver game that if it was the playoffs he would have played and so I, I think the Pelicans have always been overly cautious with him I, I think that's that's no secret um I I just think that they understand it's a long season and it, it, I think it speaks to the fact that they feel really good about their 
their position in the West. That even even with how tough that that conference is year after year, they've got to feel like they're in a pretty good spot to be not just in the playoffs, but you know get get a good get a decent first round matchup, or else I, I think they you know they may push a little bit harder to get AD AD into the game. So um, I, I think I think it's a it's a good it's a good sign, all, all things considered. That's something that kind of falls by the wayside with AD too. Is that like earlier in his career when he had what seems like a bunch of missed games, there were just moments when the Pelicans were tanking, and it might have been a situation where if we were playing for something, he would have been in the game. Yeah, yeah, that's that's happened more than I think people people realize, and um, even even in more recent years. I mean, not a couple of years ago when they were, uh, yeah, at, once they realized that they weren't making the playoffs, even with the, the the transformational shift in their style of play post Cousins trade was just so, so great and they couldn't get things figured out in time. And so they didn't really contend for that eighth seed. And so they shut Boogie and Aby down for the last five games for, not for no reason. They have, they were obviously banged up, but I mean, this, this has happened relatively frequently throughout his career. And I think it gives him, it gives AD kind of a bad, a worse rep than he deserves. There, there you, their defensive performance last year, as you mentioned, was great after the Boogie trade and their, their bottom five in defensive efficiency right now. And I, maybe I'm watching the wrong games, or I've, I've seen, I think, two full games of theirs and then bits and pieces of three others, and maybe I'm just seeing the wrong moments of games. But is it, a, a lot of it seems like the, the three-point shooting in the way they're defending. Is the Blazers, it looked like they were going under a lot of screens. Against the Clippers, it looked like they got unlucky, and this would be me defending their defense, uh, where these guys were hitting pull-up threes in transition, and those are just those are just tough shots to defend if if they're going to go in and then with the number of looks they appear to be giving up at the rim, am I oversimplifying it by saying, you know, against certain opponents, one, if you drag AD out of the paint at all, it's a problem. But two, when you're really running um, these, I don't want to call them small lineups, but you're effectively having three guards um, on the court. It, it's a little bit easier then to create mismatches and attack. You know, you have Drew Holiday as the primary defender on Kevin Durant in that game against the Warriors. Uh, there are moments, you know, you look at the Ian Clark switched on to Daniil Gallinari against the Clippers. And it, it seems like while they have a path, there are certain lineups and their starting lineup. I know small sample size theater uh, has been absolutely excellent on the defensive end this year. And it seems like they have some lineups that could be really good. But I'm wondering if this is just the year long sacrifice they're going to have to make in terms of their defensive standing with the way they're approaching it. Yeah, it's so. I think part of it has been a little bit of bad luck, particularly. I mean, if you remember back to the Portland Trailblazers playoff series, that was their that was their defensive strategy. It was basically give up the threes to these pedestrian three point shooters and like and smother Damian Lillard, smother CJ McCollum, and, and go from there. And so it, it works. It worked pretty well in the playoff series. It did not work. And obviously, we're talking about some games that their best defensive player was not playing, um, Anthony Davis. But it, it's. Yeah, it was it was some bad luck. I think they they shot what was what did the Blazers shoot? I mean, they, they shot everyone was shooting. I remember watching when I was watching the game. Everyone was shooting over fifty percent, except for like two guys or forty percent, except two guys. I mean, they had uh, Aminu shot two of five. Uh, Jake Lehman was three of three. Uh, Seth Curry three of four. Stauskas two of three. I mean, so, so some of these are, three, are good three point shooters, and they did add some of these around the uh, around the edges bench guys who can who can shoot. Uh, from three a little bit better, but th- there was some there was some bad luck. I mean, eighteen for thirty five is an unsustainable three <laughs> point performance, I think. Um, but uh, and so 
I think when you're talking about a team that's trying to pay, play at the pace that the Pelicans are playing at, something's got to give. Um, and I think for them, in a lot of cases, they're looking at some of these three-point shooters and just daring them to shoot. Obviously, they don't want Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, CJ McCollum, Damian, Damian Lode. Obviously, they don't want those guys shooting threes, uh, open threes. Like That's that's a non-starter. They're, they're trying to smother some of those guys. But at the same point, you, uh, I, I, I didn't necessarily fully agree with some of the some of the backcourt rotations that Gentry threw out uh, against some of these teams uh, it, in the past couple of games. It's tough, especially without AD. You're trying to look for some offense. Um, but they were just, I mean, for, against some of these teams, they're just so undersized uh, on the perimeter. And uh, it's just, it's, it's been a part of, part of the game for New Orleans for, for a while now uh, without, without any sort of reputable wing. Solomon Hill, if he could just give them anything, it would have been helpful, but he really hasn't been able to do that. And so um, it's, again, it's, I wouldn't say the defense has been bad. Uh, it's been, it's been kind of stretched to its limits uh, against the teams that they've played and with the personnel that they've had uh, to play with. And I think an, another underrated component of kind of who they've been missing. And when we think about uh, Alfred Payton is he, and I didn't even think about this until I started actually seeing it in games was he's such an above average rebounder for his position. And it really, it really goes a long way in helping the Pelicans play the way they want to play because they've, they've really without Peyton and without AD, they've really struggled to rebound the basketball and that directly impacts the pace that they can play at and getting out and running. And so um, that's, that's been tough. And apart from the fact that having an undersized perimeter impacts your ability to really contest three-point shots and, and and offense around the perimeter. But you're also struggling in the rebound game. Uh, you're undersized to go and get, uh, you know, get those boards and turn them into transition buckets. So it's uh, it's it's been tough for multiple reasons. Yeah, and the, uh, this supports your point about Alfred Payton, I would say, that the starting lineup, and again, as a small sample size, is allowing per cleaning the glass under 99 points per 100 possessions which is a fantastic number. So that is an interesting element that I didn't really consider about his value to them. And then he was, uh, I mean, he was good before he was injured. That was like a, I was never a big fan of Rondo in New Orleans, even though I understood he helped them at points. And so I didn't necessarily, I know people were concerned that he left and I wasn't. And I thought Alfred Payton, there's a chance he might be like an upgrade for them. But I, you know, if he's going to, if he can shoot, even league, I mean, he's way above average right now, but if he's going to give you uh, more than uh, one three-point attempt per game and he's, you know, going to shoot above league average at it, that opens up things for your offense. And like you said, with his rebounding, he does have some nice vision off the dribble. He, I don't know, maybe it's the haircut, but he seems like he's tried harder at points this time on defense. But <laughs> I, and I'm like, I'm happy you said this because from like the outside looking in, I don't know if I was oversimplifying it, but it does seem that a lot of their, defensive issues it's not necessarily like a lack of talent it's definitely not a lack of effort it just seems like a symptom of the way the roster is assembled right now yeah i i I would agree and i i don't really have the perspective or the i haven't looked around the other team to see what what should be considered normal but i mean even if you look at cleaning the glass that the pelicans have played 1600 possessions this year and their most common lineup has played 128 of those and so it just kind of it goes to speak to the the number of uh, and, and they had zero major injuries this year. It's just uh, it's just a bunch of guys missing with little things, and it's just caused a little bit of chaos with the rotations. And so Gentry's still trying to figure that out. He's trying to figure out who, what players he can count on 
outside of the, the, their top, you know, six six players or, or seven players. And so, uh, the, I mean, Diallo's gotten minutes, some games, gotten DNPs, others, and same with Frank Jackson. So they're still trying to figure that out. Do you think we'll see once everyone's healthy, obviously, that we'll see Gentry go to Mirchich, Randall, Davis minutes? And I, this is just the data, and I definitely haven't seen it when I've watched them. And per the data, it doesn't look like that line, those three have been on the floor together at all yet this season. Not for a second. And that was something a lot of us were excited about seeing uh, if it could work. Um, because, they, I mean, if you think about their skill sets, it's not crazy. And if you think about the fact that the Pelicans don't have really much else in the wing, it's also not crazy. Uh, so it's, you've got, you've got two or three, it, it, Randall's gotten better from beyond the arc. He's still not, he's a below average three point shooter, obviously, but he's, he, he looks like he's put work into it. And he's, he's made some, some of those shots when he's been open. And so you think about him, Nico and AD playing the three, four and five and whatever combination of who's guarding who that you want to, uh, you want to assign. I mean, I think as far as guarding guys in the perimeter, you want either AD or Randall doing that. Uh, you don't, I don't think you want Nico doing that as much, even though he's an above average defender in his own right, um, just when he's put in the right situation. Um, but I, I, th- I really do want to see it. And I think at some point, Gentry's hand might almost be forced uh, because, as I said, like Solomon Hill has just been a disaster. Uh, and for as little as he gives them on offense, and granted, he's a super low usage player, so he's not someone you're relying on. He's always going to be your fifth option. But even his defense has been kind of less than what I was hoping and compared to two years ago. Uh, I think he played pretty well defensively. All the, the numbers look pretty good for him in terms of uh, on-off for defensive. Uh, like a bunch of the good defensive lineups had him in them. And then last year, he, of course, he tore his hamstring. And historically, those injuries heal pretty well. Uh, you don't see uh, – I think Chris Middleton was the most recent example. Uh, but those guys usually don't have long-term – effects once that injury is healed, but Hill just doesn't, he hasn't done much of anything. And so when you look at how, how thin they are as far as a bigger wing is concerned, I think that three big lineup, at least trying it makes some sort of sense. Obviously it it probably only works against certain teams, but I think it does have, uh, there is a very strong argument to be made that they should see what they can get out of it. I would be interested to see it because I believe there there might be a potential for it to it could be to me it could go either way it could be a train wreck defensively but Randall it can when he's really locked in he can actually switch pretty well or just move and cover quicker guys at least especially in one on one situations and with the way right. that Miritich has been playing on the offensive end and I'm just not even talking about his output like just moving like when you watch him put the ball on the floor and kind of attack guys in space you he can pass as a wing now on offense and I definitely never said that about him in Chicago when they played him at the small forward, I was always against it. And so if, if he, and this dates back to his time at the Pelicans last year, um, even during the, the Blazers series too, if he's going to be able to like move like that and play like that on the offensive end, I would guess that there's a clear path to that lineup, not just being passable, but actually being really good. Yeah, I think we, and you're exactly right in the fact that, it, that I think the distribution of outcomes for that lineup is very wide. Um, as, as wide as it can be having Anthony Davis as part of it. And ideally with those three, you would have Drew Holiday as part of that group too. So, uh, I, I think you have at least a decent baseline, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it could, they could struggle, uh, cause you, you have players that are playing out of their comfort zone for part of the game. But uh, I, I think, like I said, I think the skill sets there make it a reasonable case, uh, to, to play it. And I wonder at what point Gentry will, 
at least give it give it a go because they, I mean the, the thing is that they've had plenty of time in the early going to as far as practices are concerned their first three or four games they had a couple of days off maybe three days off sometimes and and so they they started the season pretty slow I mean you'll see they were maybe even three games played behind some of their opponents this week um, so I can't speak to what they've done in practice if they've tried it but uh, I. I would hope that they've at least explored it behind the scenes and, and wouldn't be just throwing it out there after not playing zero minutes together uh, in the season, but we'll see. Have you seen enough of any one lineup from the Pelicans this year to have a favorite of what they've been rolling out? Um, I mean, it's right now it's, it's gotta be the starting lineup. Um, I, I, I had optimism for the season of a Drew Moore, Hill, Nico, AD lineup in the sense that you had four shooters alongside a, a conceivably good defensive player. But like I, I'm not going to bash on Solomon Hill anymore that I already have in this podcast. So <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. But but just because of how, how strong how – Peyton's really surprised me. Um, in, in game, and I knew he could get to the rim. Um, courtesy of Schmidt, he wrote a great piece um, uh, for, for our site on he, what he calls gentry ball, which is basically shooting early in the shot clock and getting to the rim. Uh, and – and Peyton grades out pretty well in both of those categories, which made sense for the Pelicans. Uh, and then, uh, so, it, I mean, those, those five are, have been very strong, uh, for, uh, for, for New Orleans. Uh, so that's, that's been my favorite to watch. And the fact that they've been playing against opposing starting lineups and playing their best talent and still running through them with a plus 40 on hot net rating was, uh, it, it's, it's, it's been good. So. We will uh, we'll see if it continues, but for now, that's been pretty easily my my favorite lineup to watch. My favorite for them, and I can't remember if it was the Rockets game or the because it definitely hasn't been used a lot because Darius Miller was in it. I can't remember if it was the Rockets game or maybe it was the Kings game. Um, when you have Randall at center, but you're not playing small on the wing, like there was, you know, you don't have Etwan Moore as your de facto small forward, and you're going with, you know, I know you've justifiably kind of crapped all over Solomon Hill in this podcast. But if you have like Miritich and Miller and, and Hill, and then whoever at point guard with Randall at center, uh, that, that lineup I was watching, I can't remember the game. It, it just looks so fun. It looked like it was playing so fast and the offense was just really pinging around. And that would be something, and maybe we will, but if Solomon Hill is going to be a borderline unplayable, it becomes harder for the Pelicans to play a little bit bigger when Randall's um, at the five. But that's something that, uh, I'd be really interested to see more of. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm, I'm just looking at the lineup they don't include in the box, and it's uh, Ian Clark, Solomon Hill, Darius Miller, and Nico, and Randall have played a whole 32 possessions, and they're plus 37.6 for 100 possessions. So maybe, that, maybe I tuned into the right, right moment of the one game that they played in, or something. <laughs> then, uh, so yeah, and, then, and then I mean, it's obviously we're we're dealing with such small samples. Is that if you flip Ian Clark in that lineup for Drew Holiday, of all people? They went from plus 37.6 to minus 31.7 for upgrading at point guard. Yeah, well, Drew Holiday has been struggling shooting the ball, but his midseason turnaround last year, uh, I just, I don't even, I was, I worried about him last year. This year, I'm just like, oh, he's going to figure it out. Like, those shots are going to start to fall. 
Yeah, and I think it started happening in the Blazers game. He played. He played. I mean, he's been great on defense the entire season, but he's just started to figure. His to, health to defense put is incredible. Out. I just every time. Well, I guess I shouldn't say every time, but it's just the way he. Out of the Pelicans, seem a lot of their other guys seems like they help off of the wrong shooters like too much and can't recover. But Drew Holiday just seems so smart with the way he uses space. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Nicole Miritich though has been great this season. Wasn't fantastic against the Blazers. He was not a part of the national most improved player buzz leading into the season. Do you think there's a chance that he he's definitely in the conversation now, if we're going to go with sub 10 games and we're talking about players who are in there, do you think that he could remain in that discussion throughout the entire year? It's, it's interesting. Cause that's not that when I thought about award potential with the Pelicans, it started and ended with, well, besides AD, obviously it started and ended with, Julius Randle's sixth man of the year as, as something that I could easily see happening uh, in the sense that the Pelicans play at a super fast pace. He piles up stats. Um, and if the Pelicans are, you know, in, in a good spot in the, uh, in the playoff picture, I, I could see that being an award he, he runs away with. Uh, but that the Nico for most improved player is a very interesting point too. I think it, it, I guess it depends on how much you weigh his second half of the season with the Pelicans last year, because he, I mean, obviously he started off pretty, pretty awful shooting the ball. He regressed immediately because he was shooting the ball great with the Bulls. And then the first few weeks, he was not good at all. And then he shaved his beard and then he was great. So obviously that was a, that was one of the more ridiculous storylines of the last season. But, uh, but yeah, I, could, I, I guess I could, I could see that. Um, I, I don't think, I, I think there's going to be too much competition for that award. And I don't, I don't think that the baseline from last season is that far below where he is right now to make, make that case confidently, in my opinion. Um, I mean, if he puts up 30 points per game this season, then sure. I think, I think he's going to get it, but I don't think, I don't think Nico's going to put up 30 per game this year. So um, I'd be much more, I put more money on Randall as six man of the year than I would on Nico getting most improved. Uh, how much money would you put on each one more being basically the best pull-up shooter on the team? I know the, the Pelicans don't shoot a lot of pull-up jumpers, but his effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers this year is close to 56, which is just for context, an incredible number. And again, he's not taking a ton of them, but I'm just watching him this year. And I would say about, I'm not sure about the first year of his deal, but definitely since last season, his contract has all of a sudden become, if people thought he was overpaid, it's definitely a market value contract. And it might even be, like a, a a below market contract at this point with the way he's played for them. Yeah, I I could not agree more. I think I, I like the the signing from the moment it happened. I, I didn't think it was. I thought at worst it was a fair contract. I thought he had a decent chance to outplay it, um, just given his his versatility on the wing. I mean, he's not. If you ask him to create on offense, it's going to be a problem. That's just because that's just not who he is. But uh, he he defends his position pretty well. They asked a lot of him guarding threes last year because of the Solomon Hill injury. And he, I mean, it, it was a tough spot for him. He didn't, he wasn't locking down guys three, four inches taller than him, but he did what he could. And he's good against people his size. Um, and, and and offensively, yeah, he's been a consistent shooter for them, uh, which is what one of the things they've most desperately needed. Um, he can, he, he's got a good, uh, te- he's got a good teardrop that he's been uh, showing off more and more. Um, and just, uh, overall been a, a, just such an important player for the Pelicans, given their lack of, of wing depth. Um, so uh, it's been, 
I've, I've enjoyed watching him play. He's going to frustrate you sometimes, obviously, because, and that's usually because the Pelicans ask a lot of him, uh, given the, their shortcomings elsewhere around the perimeter. So, um, but big, uh, big Etuan Moore fan, personally. Yeah, he is shooting 54.2% between three and 16 feet, which, and 75% at the rim, which is nothing to, to flinch at either. He's just been fantastic this year and kind of seems like he's attacking more, but I might be blanking on sort of his role last season. So I, de- I think that's become just a really good value contract for them, even if it didn't, again, the first year, I'm not so sure, but definitely since the beginning of last season, I think that's become clear. Um, and so this, and I'll get you out of here on this topic, Anthony Davis's MVP case. I think when you just look at his numbers, he's been an MVP talent. So like, that's not really the issue. And when I think games that they play without him almost help make the MVP case for him at different stages, uh, they're playing like a top 10 defense this year when, when he's on the court, the missing element for them. And I'm not sure how much I agree with. It, how much it seems that this counts toward the voting um, when when the voters are making their decision, but that the Pelicans need to just finish higher in the West for him to get that clout. And that if we're talking about just a theoretical head-to-head matchup with Giannis, if the Bucks end up second or third in the East, but the Pelicans are sixth in the West, the inherent edge is going to go to Giannis. And it's just, forget about the disparity really in conferences, but last <laughs> year would be a perfect example. <laughs> yeah, it's just... They finished sixth, but they were a game out of third. And so, like, I don't like that context. I understand why the Oklahoma City Thunder, when Russell Westbrook uh, won, were actually mediocre at best. And so that can be viewed as the anomaly. But I don't like – and history supports this, though, is that the the MVP rarely ever comes from teams that aren't aren't a third seed in their conference. And it's mostly a one or a two seed. And so do you think that – it's just down to at this point, if they finish third in the West or, or maybe even fourth, or maybe if that race between three and 11 or 10 or whatever it's going to be, is just so close that wherever they finish, this could end up being really his year uh, to get that award. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I feel like other people have kind of made his, are more confident about him as the MVP uh, than, than I am. And it's, it's kind of for the reasons you've, Describe it's 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 almost weird because I've seen some people almost simultaneously pick the Pelicans as a fringe playoff team, but pick AD as MVP. It's just like, are you just trying to hedge your bets? Uh, <laughs> because the, I don't see a scenario where that both of those things are true. I mean, it's either the Pelicans are comfortably in the playoff picture, maybe fighting for a home home uh, first round series, and AD is an MVP, a legitimate MVP candidate, maybe winning the thing. Or there, he gets. There are some injuries. Things, bad things happen. They're not. They're a fringe playoff team at best, maybe miss. And he's definitely not the MVP. So uh, it, that that was almost that was really weird to me. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, and the games he's missed now. I think the Pelicans obviously would have loved to have him. And any game you can steal on the road from a Western Conference playoff team is big. But I do think they also realize that like these games are going to be tough no matter what. And if AD's not 100, percent just kind of let it let it sit. And if, and if people want to make it a, a narrative that, Oh my gosh, the, the Pelicans without AD, look how bad they are, even though they're playing good teams on the road. Um, that's, it, it is what it is. But I mean, I think, I mean, he's going to have the numbers, but that, that's, that's obvious. He, he, last year he was first team all defense and now he, and he's in this faster paced team is going to be putting up even more ridiculous numbers. His assist numbers are way up. Even without that 
um, Golden State game where he was just kind of obviously deferring. His assist numbers are up. And so if he he's going to pile the stats, and I think it's going to come down to exactly what you said. If the, if the, the Pelicans, who a lot of teams, or a lot of people, even after last year, kind of put us maybe making the playoffs, maybe not. If they are, you know, right around that four seed, uh, maybe three seed, then yeah, I think, I think he's maybe the favorite to win MVP. Um, otherwise, yeah, you're looking at, I mean, if the Bucks continue this pace with Giannis, I think that's, I think it's his to lose. Um, even though you could argue it's just as much about the coaching chains and the philosophy chains over in Milwaukee than as Giannis, or Giannis taking some sort of crazy step. Um, but I, I I, again, you're, you're, you're exactly right. It's, it, it's for whatever reason, it's going to come down to what seed they are. His, uh, just the stuff surrounding him can get frustrating. And I'm not, I'm not, a f- I like, this is the business. Like every rumor, um, every quote, it's spun into something, but like with him, it just seems egregious. And I get like almost frustrated about it. Like the, the Pelicans, um, I didn't have a, if, if Anthony Davis is healthy, they're a playoff team to me. Like, and it's not a fringe playoff team. I had more, I had more problems picking if I thought the Blazers were fully healthy, would they make the playoffs? If the, before the whole uh, Jimmy Butler stuff happened in Minnesota, um, I had harder trouble picking whether they'd make the playoffs. Uh, the same with the Clippers, even the Thunder, when I was making my playoff predictions, they gave me more pause when I'm, when I'm thinking teams are going to be fully healthy uh, than the Pelicans did. And then just the, the other stuff like his quotes. And I think the other day was uh, he said that he needs to be at a hundred percent or playing his best basketball for them to win. And people kind of took that and ran with it, which I get. But the whole quote was basically him actually complimenting his team yeah. and how hard they play without him. And there's really – you can't get more innocuous, essentially, than the best player on the team saying that he needs to be playing his best basketball to give his team the best chance to win. And everything just gets taken and run with. And I understand uh, the contract situation, but one, he's not – like, he's not getting traded this year. Like, he's just a non-starter. And – this is the only, I guess, real question I wanted to ask you about his future because I'm sure you get pestered about it a lot, is when he's offered the designated veteran extension, if he declines it, if you're the Pelicans, though, would you still consider just keeping him and let it ride out into free agency because he's so special? And that's something I've really tried to, like, I've thought a lot about because unless he goes the Jimmy Butler route, and I can't picture Anthony Davis doing that. Maybe he does with his new agent, but if he doesn't sign the extension, he's so special you know, it's that Kevin Durant situation where if he hasn't told you he's going to leave, do you just let that last season ride out? Because you don't want to lose him for nothing, but he's just so damn good that if you think you can turn him over the course of the year, that maybe it's worth it to keep him and let the chips kind of fall where they may when he actually hits free agency. Should he even decline that extension? And I don't, I'm not sure that he would. It's a lot of money. Um, And I, I mean, he doesn't seem necessarily unhappy in New Orleans. He's talked about how he wants to win, but like we talked about before, at least I said it, that, you know, they have flexible books. Um, th- there are things that maybe they could do. So th- that's the, I just beyond the trade stuff, because it's not, I think, you know, you said it on Twitter. It's just, it's, it's a non-starter this season. I'm just wondering whether they should even consider it. If that DVE isn't signed this summer. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really, really good question. And I, I love the forward thinking, even though it's about Anthony Davis potentially leaving, because that's that's the question, that's the conversation that should be happening, rather than oh, when the the Celtics going to trade for Anthony Davis in January? It's like no, just please stop this. this is, it's been happening over the night. The other thing, and I don't mean to interrupt you. That's so stupid. Yeah. Is that given that people think that oh, it'll be the Lakers or the Celtics, 
you know what? They let's say that Anthony Davis or the Pelicans decide to trade him this summer. There, yes, the Celtics and the Lakers have good young players, but if you're if you're trading Anthony Davis, you're going to start a rebuild. Do you, how much value are you going to place on an extension eligible Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram at that point, where you all of a sudden have to just invest a ton of money in these guys? And that's the other thing that bothers me about even if Davis gets to the trade market, or that might be a reason just to not ever put him there and let this ride out the free agencies. If the Lakers or the Celtics are going to give you the best offer, if it involves players that you then have to turn around and pay within another year, that inherently to me drags down the value of those trade packages. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they would look for some sort of combination of, I, I, I think they would look for picks that wouldn't end up being at the very end of the first round, but uh, all, all good points, but yeah. And <laughs> that, Going back to that quote that AD had, I mean, that's it. It was, I think if he could have done it again, I think he would have phrased it differently because it's everything. His messaging has been, you know, credit to him has been consistent from the start. I mean, it's been about focusing on basketball with New Orleans and like and always crediting his teammates at every turn. He's never that whole, I've got to play almost perfect to, to have our team win games. I think your interpretation is exactly right. He's never, He's never thrown his teammates under the bus in his entire career. And I don't think he would start now. Uh, I don't think that, that was any sort of, he wasn't trying to insult his teammates or I've said that they're not, 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 not good players. And so he was, I think to your point, he was just trying to say that I, I, I know that I, I expect a lot of myself and I, you know, and we, to be the best that we can be as a team, I've got to be my best. And so that, and that's what you should expect them to say. That's what he should be saying. So. Um, yeah, and regarding his, his future and the whole, I, the, the designated veteran exception, like, eh, I, obviously the hope is that he takes the Pelicans, put it on the table and he takes it the same way he took the last one five years ago or four years ago when he, or when, whenever he, they gave him that max, uh, max extension, he signed it at 1201 AM. I mean, that was, it was instantaneous. And right. obviously he's, he's unrestricted now. So we're talking, about a much different situation. Um, and if he doesn't take it, what's the move? I, I, I don't know. It, it depends on, it depends on how, how he declines it. If he does, I mean, if he, if, if it, it, it there's only two ways this goes, it, it, it's either one, I still need to see a little bit more to commit to this from this team or it's two, I'm out. I mean, and so if it, I think that dictates what the Pelicans do, if it's one, if it's, if he, if he, cause I don't think, AD is going to screw around with the Pelicans and not be straight up with them. Um, I, I, I think he's got more of a and more of a spine than KD. Um, that was actually I think, who I was thinking of. Like he's been non-committal, but without coming across that way, where KD was just with OKC anyway was just unnecessarily committal to them. Yeah, and so I think I think AD will at least be. I think he'll be more transparent about it. I'm, I don't, I, he's not going to be all to the other side of the spectrum when talking to Jimmy Butler, but I think he's going to be, I think, he, I think he's closer to KD than Jimmy Butler for sure. But I also don't think he's going to pull a fast one on New Orleans and, and, and say something he doesn't mean. So if he actually want, I mean, just because he doesn't sign that ex- extension on the first day he's allowed to doesn't mean he can't, um, in, in the future. And so if that's, if that's something he's still legitimately considering, then I think the Pelicans will trust him on that and do what they can to convince him to stay. If he says, you know, this, I just don't see my career continuing here. Uh, I want to go somewhere else. 
And then, then I don't think the Pelicans will do what Tibbs is doing in, in Minnesota. <laughs> I think they will trade. And so, uh, it just kind of, I think like, it depends the, the team, the team and AD have a great relationship. Uh, it's based on trust. It, I don't think there hasn't been any missteps along the way in that regard. Um, there was a lot of BS out there about cousins and how the team did one thing when 81 in the stay. That's, it's just, it's wrong. It's not true. Um, and so I think the teams and team and AD have had, like I said, a good relationship all the way through. And so if, if he decides that this is not the place for him, then I think the team will understand that and do what they can to get as much as they can for him. But if they, if he says that I want to, I still want to see a little more, I'm, I want to be here, but I'm not convinced yet. I think they'll do what they can to convince him. And that's the smart play, right? The actual last question is if he doesn't tell you he wants out, um, I wouldn't move him. I would try and salvage it, you know, and build the team, get some players really compete in the West and hope he resigns again. That contract's going to be massive. Uh, if they, if he's going to, if he wants all the five years, he's not going to get that from another team. And I know if he still leaves, they'll get killed by people saying, Oh, well, we knew that he was going to leave. And even if he doesn't end up in LA or Boston, but if he doesn't tell you he's out, I just feel like he's too, and maybe you could tell me if I'm wrong, but if he doesn't tell you that he, if he's just undecided and like you said, needs to see more, I think the play actually is to keep him and let this ride out. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think the other factor you've got to consider is that, that New Orleans is trying to sell tickets. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, not that they would keep him, even if he said he wanted out again, I don't think that's what would happen. They would trade him if he said, I'm not resigning here, but uh, I do think that if they think they have a chance to keep him and the chance to keep Anthony Davis in your lineup is also, and you know, being a good team is also attractive to them. Uh, so uh, I, again, I think we're, we're aligned on this one. Well, I've taken up enough of your time, Mason. I appreciate you really coming on to talk about the Pelicans who are just one of the more fascinating teams this season, as we said, both in good ways and with all the injuries, kind of bad ways. Uh, everyone be sure to follow Mason on Twitter again. That's at Mason Ginsberg, G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G. Um, you can read his stuff at Bourbon Street Shots. He is also the co-host of their In the Know podcast, so be sure to check out both of those things. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled like it sounds. Hardwood Knox is at Hardwood Knox. Um, and please, everyone, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're just everywhere. So uh, we really appreciate that. And any feedback you have, as always, you can reach out to us. So I just want to say thank you to Mason again. And I will leave everyone with the usual obligatory shout-out to Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.